0: Thanks for joining us on our walk through the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In this series, we'll see the many cultural similarities between the Pacific Northwest and ancient Greece. We'll also be challenged in how we're designed to live out the gospel through the local church. In the second mini-series, Paul takes chapters five through seven to explore the implications of our gospel-formed identity in Christ and the way it challenges worldly norms in the ways that we handle our relationships. For more information, please visit www.doxa-church.com.
1: Here's the word of God. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 32 through 35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or a bit-throated woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Good morning. Good to see you all. I have enjoyed the weather as well, like Donald said. Uh, My name's Jeff. If I have not met you, uh, I look forward to getting to meet you, I I hope. Uh, We are continuing in our series on 1 Corinthians. If you're new with us, we're just teaching through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Uh, about three years after he started that church, and uh, they were dealing with a whole lot, a lot of different problems as well as questions, and so the last few weeks we've been addressing some of the questions that the Corinthian believers uh, were asking Paul. Uh, it's in, important to note that Pharaoh uh, just read a portion of the text that I'm going to be preaching through. I'm going to be preaching through verses uh, 25 through 40 of chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians uh, if you were with us last week, you heard me speak on marriage, and in particular, uh, the obligation of a husband to their wife and wife to her husband. And now in this particular passage, Paul is addressing singleness and the idea of the blessed uh, privilege. It really is to give yourself fully to the Lord with an undivided attention. Uh, And so what I want us to do this morning, married or single, is ask yourself, am I able to have a single-minded devotion to God? And what might be keeping me from being able to be fully devoted to his purposes in my life? Uh, The question that the Corinthians were asking was, is it better just to remain single in light of the situations they were going through in their context, in light of the urgency of getting the message of the gospel of Jesus out, and in their mind, the fact that Jesus was gonna come back at any moment, which is still true, he could come back while we're sitting right here right now uh, and and restore all things, they understood there was an urgency. And so the question they asked Paul, in their letter to him was, would it be better off if we just remained single? Even some of those who were already engaged, the word betrothed is that word for engagement. Uh, There were some who were already engaged to be married, were waiting for a period to be married, and Paul was answering their question, should we just not get married? Would we be better off remaining sing- single? And so what I want you to do, first of all, all of you, before I begin to teach through this text, I want you to ask yourself in your heart, how free do you feel to obey and follow God's plan for your life? How free do you feel? Do you feel distracted? Do you feel uh, overwhelmed? Do you feel like there's too many things that are calling for your attention? Or do you really feel free to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then to obey his command to love one another as he loved us? Uh, and, And not only to love, but to be a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples. So I want you to ask that question, do I feel free? Do I feel unhindered from obeying God and following his ways in my life? And Jesus said this life of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself is the life that is truly living. It's the flourishing life. It's the life that God designed you to live. And if you're not living in that way, you're actually missing out on the life he intended for you. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian in the room today, God's made you for his purposes to live in relationship with him and to live in love, loving relationships with one another. So ask yourself, how free am I? Do I have a single-minded devotion to God and his commands and mission? So as Paul speaks to this issue of being single, he wants them to be free to choose whether they, they should be married or not, free from worldly pursuits that keep them from following him and doing his will, and then free from the anxieties that are oftentimes corroding their minds with uh, too many problems. Too many, uh, distractions and too many uh, com- uh, demands pulling on their life. So I want you to think through, first of all, the freedom to choose. Let's look at the text. If you have your Bibles, you can look at them. I'll have it on the screen as well. Verse 25, this is the passage that was not read. Now concerning the betrothed, which is also the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Now I want to pause there Paul uses this phrase, the present distress. Some believe it's connected to an actual famine and earthquakes that were going on in that particular day. Uh, Historically, we know that this particular time of Paul's writing, there were significant famines and earthquakes happening. And so there are some who think because of the social upheaval that's going on, many people are thinking, this is just not the time to be thinking about having a wedding if you can imagine right so that's that's one of the thoughts the other thought is that this present distress could also be translated this present necessity referring to the urgency to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus uh, of all the people around them. Because Paul uses the same exact phrase later on in his letter, we'll get to as we continue to teach through this letter, where he talks about the urgency of, of getting the gospel out. The urgency of being one who continues to proclaim the gospel to the lost around us. And so You could go either way. I I lean towards the latter in light of uh, Paul's sense of of kind of like just absolute responsibility before God to encourage and exhort the church to be faithful to all the people that don't know Jesus in terms of sharing the gospel with them in Corinth. Now, I I want us to consider our region, uh, the, the Puget Sound, Greater Puget Sound, has well over a million people who don't know Jesus, who don't follow Jesus, who, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, will spend eternity separated from God. So, I I just want us to think about that, and I want us to ask, does that, like, get us? Does that that give us any sense of urgency as we go about our work, as we think about our neighbors, as we consider our family members? Do, Do we have this sense that we better be single-minded in our devotion to God and his mission because there are well over a million people who will not get to enjoy what many of us already get to enjoy, which is this relationship with God that changes everything from the inside out. I hope that we have a sense of urgency. And if we were to, if we were to just take Paul's letter, we'd say, in light of that present reality, what are we doing? How devoted are we? How serious are we? Are we to the mission? Paul continues in light of this question, should we get married or not? Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Jump down to verse 36, similar kind of thinking. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, If his passions are strong, similar to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, and it has to be, then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, we're going to come back to that phrase, has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So the basic answer Paul is giving here is do whatever you want in this matter. Get married, don't get mar- married, you're free to choose. Now he's going to qualify this in terms of how important it is to consider this question in their present context, but overall he's saying, you're free in the Lord to remain single, you're free in the Lord to be married. And you might hear that and go, what's the big deal? That that's, doesn't sound very earth shattering, Jeff. But in the context they were in, this was remarkable. Uh, and maybe some of you grew up in the church, uh, you grew up, you know, if, you, if you're in your 40s, 30s or 40s, you grew up and were given I kiss dating goodbye, uh, and you were told that marriage is everything, and if you're a woman, you should wait around for some perfect guy to show up on your doorstep and sweep you off your feet and take you into life everlasting and full of joy and pleasure, right? <laughs> Anybody read that book, grew up with that book? I know Josh, he's since recanted that book. Uh, It's no longer being published. He disagrees with himself on many things he wrote. Uh, And I won't get into that uh, and uh, all that he said. But I will say, unfortunately, in in the Christian context growing up, in some cases, we've made marriage ultimate. And in the day that Paul is speaking to, they clearly had made marriage. kind of an ultimate reality. Now, certainly in Corinth, there were many who weren't married, but they understood in their context, especially for a woman, getting married was a means for economic security and stability. It was a way to obviously have a family, and there was a sense of social status that was connected to being married. In fact, to be unmarried when you were much older for them in that context often resulted in people seeing you as a social outcast, as though there's something wrong with you, for not being married. Unfortunately, some of us feel that way today, I know. Some of us who are single are used to having people going, hey, why aren't you married? What's going on? And immediately there's a social stigma attached to you if you're not married. And I want to apologize for that uh, if we as a church have in any way tried to make marriage more important than being single. It's just not biblical. Paul would affirm both as equal. In fact, he would say, in their context, even better to be single. Of course, there's lots you can get done. There's a freedom that you have that a married person doesn't necessarily have. And we'll come back to that in a minute. So, I, I don't know if you felt this, but. I have to acknowledge that I'm sure I've played into it and in any way I have where I've made it appear as though marriage is the ultimate and unfortunately created a a subpar standard for those who aren't married, I, I have to own that if I've done that and please forgive me because I'm not in line with the word of God if that's what I've done. God values all of us in the station of life we're in and the station of life we're in is intentionally designed by him, for his purpose in our life. And one is not better than the other. I know even for my wife growing up, the, the idea that the ultimate was get married, have kids, take care of your home, was put in front of her on a daily basis to the point at which the idea that you would go to college was just unheard of. Why would you need that? And I, I don't want to in any way degrade my, my wife's upbringing, but that was a, a large push in the church in that day, and I'm grateful that I have a wife who is devoted to me and our children and is a stay-at-home mom, but what she's doing is no better than someone who chooses something else. I want to make sure that's really clear. Unfortunately, we've, we've almost created a level of spirituality that you're better if you've done that, and that, that doesn't line up with God's Word, so I want to be careful that we don't teach something His Word doesn't teach I I do believe growing up, at least my age group, I'm 50, uh, 40s and 50s, the idea that you would be single wasn't promoted, right? Maybe it wasn't your household, but the idea that you would remain single all your life so you could devote yourself fully to the Lord was not something that we were encouraged toward. And uh, Paul would disagree with that and say, there's many good reasons not to get married, there are, we are blessed, by the way, by people who didn't get married. I don't know how many of you have read any of John Stott's work, but I'm deeply blessed by the work of John Stott, who remained single his entire life, passed away recently, last few years, uh, was a, a, a pastor uh, in uh, England at a very prominent church, has written volumes of incredible work on Jesus and the gospel and the cross, uh, C.S. Lewis Spent the majority of his life single and we all benefit from his writings as a result of him devoting himself fully to creatively describing the realities of the kingdom of God through books that reach kids all the way to adults. Henrietta Mears, some of you may have heard of her, single woman in Hollywood, worked at, uh, was a part of Hollywood Presbyterian Church. She devoted herself especially to young adults and to people in the industry to disciple them to Jesus and develop them in their faith. She happened to develop one particular man that many of us know. His name is Billy Graham. She poured into Billy Graham. Billy Graham would, was fond of saying, there are, there are three women who greatly impacted my life. My mom, my wife, and Henrietta Mears. And, and we've been blessed through the life of Billy Graham and the ministry of Billy Graham because of the way a woman who devoted herself to be single-minded in her devotion to Jesus Christ poured in to young people like Billy Graham. So, we are free to choose, and there are, there are real good reasons to remain single. If you are in the room and you are single, I want to encourage you not to look down on your position and status, but to ask God, why and how can I fulfill the call on my life that you've given me in the status and station I'm presently in? You're free to choose, and both can be very good, but they're only as good as you are free to choose. The idea being, are you really free in your heart to make a choice. Paul uses this language in verse 37 but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, has determined this in his heart to keep her as his, his betrothed, he will do well. And I just want to focus on that phrase being under no necessity, but having a desire under control. Paul's saying, I don't want there to be any external force other than God or internal desire other than a devotion to God that drives your decisions. Uh, I want you to be free. Free from the world's pressure. Free from even your peers' pressure. Free from a a desire in your heart that's not fully devoted, single-minded in its devotion to Jesus Christ. And we live in a context of conflicting pressures. Right? On the one hand, you might have the internal desire to get married and yet you live in the Pacific Northwest where there's a great deal of value placed on autonomy and personal freedom coupled with your own desire for personal expression leading many around us to look down on marriage and to say it's an evil thing. It's a, it's a horrendous thing. We, we have images in our mind of like a ball and chain of some kind of slavery that is attached to marriage. So you might have an internal desire, but an external pressure that keeps you from pur- pursuing marriage. Paul is saying, pay attention to what's compelling you. Pay attention to, if, to anything that's controlling you. So I, I would want to ask that question that I asked at the beginning again. How free are you? And I, I'm, I'm saying this to the singles and the married people in the room. How free are you to pursue God's call on your life? If you're looking to get married because you want to give yourself away in service to one another and together fulfill the great commandment of loving God and loving others and the great commission of making disciples and you wanna do that in partnership with somebody else, you're probably free. Get married, pursue it, it's a good thing. But if you wanna get married because you can't live without it, singleness, the idea of being alone is a thought you can't bear, then you're being controlled probably by the wrong desire. And to be honest, it's gonna crush your spouse if you only get married so that you won't have to be alone anymore. You only get married so that someone can fulfill your desires. You only get married so that they can help you be all that you're meant to be. Unfortunately, you can't be single, devote, single-minded single devotion to Jesus with that mindset because you've tried to make someone else your God. In, the case, in this case, your spouse. And I promise you, you will not be free, and neither will they, and it will crush them. That weight is not meant to be handled or carried by any human. But we could take the other side. If, for instance, you choose to remain single because you want more freedom to spend time with God, you want more opportunities to love your neighbors, you want to be free to actively engage in Jesus' mission with all of your time so you can make disciples and make disciples, and then please stay single. You're free. In your heart to do that. I've been at the dinner table several times with my our oldest daughter when my wife Janie is saying, "So, like, let's talk about you know, like your dreams for the future." And of course, you know, we want to be grandparents. You know, we'd like to have little grandkids someday. And so, unfortunately, there's that unfortunate pressure you can put on your kids without even knowing it. And so, uh, we had this one particular conversation about, what's your dream for the future? And, you know, what, what would you do that we've done as parents? And what wouldn't you do? And, you know, of course, there's a lot more wouldn'ts than woods, but it's okay. We can handle it. And uh, I, I, just, to, just recently, my daughter, Haley, said, well, what if I don't want to get married? And I know that, was, I know that for Janie, it was like, What? And for me, I'm like, it's, I'm going to be preaching on this. I better embrace this, right? Like, and, so, and I will say, as, as an aside, this last week, I have spent more time trying to be in the heart and the mind of a single person. I, I actually, I've asked a lot of uh, single people a lot of advice about today's message. And, and I, I, I've realized that I, it's, it's hard to get out of the mindset of being a married man when that's my existence, that's my present reality, that's what I know. And yet to hear my daughter say, what if I don't? I have to affirm the Apostle Paul and say, if the reason is good and you want to pursue God's call on your life and you want to be as free as possible to be fully devoted to him and all of his work in and through you, then that's a good thing. It's a good thing. If on the other hand you're single and you want to remain single primarily because you want freedom to focus primarily on your career and your own self-advancement, you hate the idea of being obligated to anyone, you want to keep your options open all the time, you're just waiting for the right opportunity to come along, then I would say you might not be free. You might potentially be enslaved to the the idea that self-expression, living for self, Being as free to do whatever you want all the time is the greatest good, and I would say that is contrary to the gospel. Even though Jesus was a free, uh, a single man all his life, he gave himself away to everyone. He surrendered his life to the Father's will and ultimately gave himself up to death on a cross for you and me. He, did, he wasn't single so he could save himself. He wasn't single so that he could be all about his own desires. He was single so he could give himself away to the Father's will. And there may be some of you here who are just, and I, I want to be sensitive as I say this because I know there's some of you who really want to be married and, and and you just haven't had that opportunity. Uh, but I want to I give a little correction if it's needed. Some of you are waiting for somebody better to come along. You're looking for Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect. And Lori Gottlieb, who is a single feminist writer, I'm not a Christian as far as I know, who uh, kept holding out for Mr. Right in her language, even as uh, got uh, artificially inseminated so she could still have a child without necessarily being married. But she's now in her 40s and she wrote this article called marry him exclamation point the case for settling for mr good enough this is in the atlantic this is back in 2008 so it's a while ago she says this when we're holding out for deep romantic love we have the fantasy that this level of passionate intensity will make us happier but marrying mr good enough might be an equally viable option especially if you're looking for a stable reliable life companion What I didn't realize in my 30s is that while settling seems like an enormous act of resignation when you're single, once you take the plunge and do it, you'll probably be relatively content. That's because what makes for a good marriage isn't necessarily what makes for a good romantic relationship. Once you're married, it's not about whom you want to go on vacation with, it's about whom you want to run a household with. Marriage isn't a passion fest. It's more like a partnership formed to run a very small, mundane, and often boring nonprofit business. <laughs> I love that statement. <laughs> and I mean this in a good way. It's not that I've become jaded to the point that I don't believe in a romantic connection, it's just that as your priorities change from romance to family, the so called deal breakers change. Part of the problem is that we grew up idealizing marriage, thinking that it meant finding the man of your dreams, who, by the way, doesn't exist precisely because you dreamed him up. And so we walk away from relationships that, make, that might make us happy in the context of a family. Those of us who are looking for a soulmate are almost like teenagers who believe they're invulnerable to dying in a drunk driving accident. We lose sight of our mortality. We forget that we too will age and become less alluring. That's so true. And those of us who are older realize that and especially I want to say this, if you're not married, you know what makes my marriage great? is I am doing life with my friend, and we're devoted together to God's purposes to glorify him, to, to pursue his, his call on our life, to make disciples of others. It, it, I, I, I shared this last week. And my wife told me not to share too much. Yes, I do enjoy a very passionate relationship with my wife. But I'm telling you, it went from infatuation. She was 20 when we got married. I was 24, to actually realization. From infatuation to realization. We realized who we had married and that what we thought about the other became kind of a facade And then we saw that we were two broken people. And I would guarantee if you were to tell us beforehand what we were really like, we probably wouldn't have gotten married. But God in his grace put us together and we've learned how to love one another and die to ourselves in the process. I don't know if you're a Friends fan or a Seinfeld fan, but both of those particular stories epitomize the reality of waiting for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. Rachel leaves the altar of her wedding in the very first episode of Friends because Barry the orthodontist is just not doing it for her. And she leaves, and then the rest of the 10 years is about her trying to find Mr. Wright, and she finally settles with Ross, right? <laughs> who clearly is not that much better than Barry the orthodontist. But she's just finally realized, I think, that that, that idea of finding the perfect man is, is a, not, it's a fantasy. Of course, she's not the perfect woman. And then you got Chandler, every time he thinks he finds the perfect woman, he finds something wrong with her, whether it's her hands or the way she talks. And of course, Seinfeld's the same, got the same issue. You remember the big hands lady? Remember that episode, like he, he just, he's, she's gorgeous and he looks down and her hands look like man hands and he just can't, he can't get over it, you know? And so I, I, we can laugh at that because I think in some ways we need to laugh at that because the reality is we all have man hands, right? We all have something wrong with us, whether it's physical or spiritual. I, I was interacting with someone recently who was trying to r- wrestle with marriage and this idea and she's, she was asking like, what are deal breakers? You know, and, I, and, I, I, and she said, is there anything that like bothered you about Janie? I'm like, oh, there's tons of things that bother me about Janie. <laughs> and Janie would tell you there's even more things about me that bother her, right? Because we're just, we're human. In fact, I've learned to laugh at the things that used to bother me because it's a way of saying like, we're not the same and we learn how to be with one another. This isn't just for marriage. This is for your, your missional community, For the people that you do community with, hopefully you look around going like, these are not people I would do life with apart from Jesus, right? That's not to put them down. They're thinking that about you, (laughs) okay? So are you free in your heart? That's the question. And then are you free from worldly pursuits? Paul says it this way in verse 28 second half of the verse, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And when the world worldly there is not meant to just be things outside of Christianity, it means the things of everyday life. You'll have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Paul and many others believe that he would come. Jesus would return any moment, and they wanted to be found ready and find as many people following Jesus as possible. That's still true for us today, From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. Now notice, Paul does not say, the one who has a wife, stop having a wife. He says, live as though you didn't. And this is important to get, because it doesn't mean to abandon one another. He says, it's to To stop living as though you did to stop mourning. He doesn't say stop mourning, I'm sorry. He just says, uh, go ahead and mourn, rejoice, engage in work, disengage in work, but do not do it as though you're not doing it. And that's kind of a weird phrase. Like, how do I stay married as though I'm not married? How do I mourn as though I'm not mourning? How do I rejoice as though I'm not rejoicing? How do I engage in the world as though I'm not engaging in the world? How do I do work as an a, a employee at Microsoft or Amazon or Google or wherever you work as though I don't do work there? That's, that's kind of the, he's kind of raising attention point and what he's trying to say is he's saying I want you to relativize the world that you live in. I want you to realize that marriage isn't the ultimate, that work isn't the ultimate, that that the, the laughter and the sorrow is not the last word. That, that your sorrow will, be, will someday become laughter. That your mourning will become rejoicing. That all these things are temporary realities. And if you live as though they're the ultimate reality, you will find yourself being let down. They'll never satisfy like you think they will. Marriage isn't the ultimate. Neither is being single. Material possessions have a shelf life. Your career isn't all there is. And unfortunately, an inordinate amount of love or pressure placed in these things leads not to you possessing them, but them possessing you. You become a slave to the thing that was made to be a good gift from God, but becomes an ultimate thing, and therefore it has mastery over your life, and therefore you're not really free. Paul says the present form of this world is passing away. He wants us to keep in mind that there's an eternal reality and that word for form, this present form of the world is passing away, is, was used in the broader Greek culture in their language to describe the mask uh, an actor would wear in the theater. And so what Paul is saying is this, the present mask of this world is fading away. In other words, God is showing the things of the world for what they really are, that though our job and marriage and relationships and possessions may be good gifts, they're still not the ultimate gifts when we looked at Jesus and all that he is. Stephen Tiom says it this way, everything we have is good. The problem is it parades itself around as ultimate, promising to give us everything our hearts desire, but it's all a charade. And now that Christ has come, the jig is up. Everything is slowly but surely being unmasked for what it really is, good but not ultimate, not everything. All day long, you and I are being told if we just get that thing we don't have, if we just have that relationship we long for, if we just get the job that we think we deserve, that then we'll finally be satisfied, we'll finally be fulfilled, we'll finally feel secure, we'll finally have a sense of significance. Significance. And then we get it, and then we realize we still are longing, still wanting, and still not enough. It's because you were made for so much more. You were made for eternity, and you were made for the eternal one. If you're not a Christian here, I want to tell you the greatest desire and longing of your heart is for you to have a relationship with the God who made you and knows you and accepts you regardless of what you've done because of his son, Jesus Christ, and how he gave his life to forgive you of your sins and bring you into a relationship with God. That's what you're made for. And if that doesn't become the thing that fulfills you more than everything else, then you will always find yourself wanting. You'll get married, but you'll realize the honeymoon is gonna be over. You'll get that thing that's so beautiful and shiny and eventually it just is dull. Uh, The the oasis that you've been chasing after you realize is really a mirage. And if you've lived long enough, you're saying amen to everything I just said because you know you thought something would give you great fulfillment and you got it and then you wanted something else. And I'm telling you, the culture around us is making a lot of money off of continuing telling you that you're going to finally get what you wanted if you buy their product. And then you get it and they tell you it wasn't good enough because they made a new version of it a year later so you can buy the next one. Right? Eventually, we ought to wake up and go like, hey, are we paying attention? The world knows this is true. And it's true with Marriage. Those of you who are single, I just want to be really clear. When one person with problems marries another person with problems, the problems don't go away, they multiply. And so you're going like, man, if only I could get married. I just want to warn you. It isn't as great as you think it is. Okay, I I said it last week. I love being married to my wife. I'm grateful for it. It's a gift. But I I have said a few times, and my wife's heard me say this. I wonder if I would have stayed single if I couldn't have gotten more done for the Lord. I'm thankful that I'm married. I love my kids. I don't regret it. I said that to a few people in the office this last week, and they said, Jeff, God knew that you were a mess, (laughs) and you needed help. And if you had stayed single, you would have done nothing good for the Lord. (laughs) Like, amen. All right. That is true. That is true. I needed help. Some of you don't. Okay? And some of you need to stay single so you can give yourself fully in a way that a married man can't. Paul goes on. He wants them not only to be free to choose, Free from worldly pursuits, but free from anxiety. He says this in verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. And this could be translated additional concerns in your life. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, referring to her public, her her private and public life. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, which is another way of saying not to put a noose around you. He doesn't want you to feel that you can't be free. But he does say to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's why I titled this message, Single-Minded Devotion." A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord, meaning marry another believer in Jesus. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. Every one of us, I said this at the beginning, every one of us has been uniquely designed by God to live in relationship with the Lord our God as our first primary relationship, as the most important relationship in our life, to make him ultimate, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if, if we do that, if our vertical relationship is right, then our Our horizontal relationships will bear that out. That's why Jesus says, the greatest commandment is that, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he knew that if we didn't have this relationship right, this relationship will be broken. All of us are made for this. And then all of us are commanded, if you're a Christian, by Jesus, to be on his mission to make disciples of all nations, Wherever you live, work, learn, and play, you are sent as a missionary of God, as a witness, bearing witness to all he's done in your life so others might be drawn to him. Regardless of your station, regardless of your situation, all of us who are Christians, who bear the name of Christ as our savior and king, we are all called to live this life. That is for all of us. Married, single, divorced, widowed, All of us are called to this, and it's not an obligation, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to participate in the universal salvation plan of God, to, to, to join in with God's redemptive work of bringing souls into the family that will enjoy him forever. That's not an obligation. That's a privilege. And if every time I say something about being a part of the mission of God or being a disciple who makes disciples, you go, oh, man, I just don't know if I got time and energy for that, then I just want you to question yourself about what value you place on the king and his agenda, if you know Jesus and what He gave for you, laying down His life at the cross for you and I, and you go, I just don't know if I got time for that, obeying Him, His commandment, giving my life away for others, then I just want to ask: Do you know Him? Do you know what He's done? Has it gripped your heart? Are you single-minded in your devotion to your King? And those of you who are married, Paul is trying to wake us up to the reality that maybe someone didn't tell you before you were married, and that is you're still responsible to obey the the Lord your God, to love him with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, and to be a disciple who makes disciples. That's still, you don't get to bow out and go, I just, I don't have time for that because I'm married and I got kids. No, Paul, you had the word of God probably before you were married, I hope, if you were a Christian, and hopefully you read this passage where Paul said, hey, just so you know, when you get married, you don't get to bow out of what I commanded. It's just gonna get harder. Because now you, you gotta love your wife or your husband. You gotta love these little kids. And it gets complicated because they're in sports and they're in dance and they're busy, right? And you're driving around and you're like Uber drivers for about six or 10 years. Amen? Any parents out there? Like, like, but that doesn't mean you get to go like, well, I don't have to do any of that. I'll wait till they're older. But don't, don't miss this. If you raise your kids to tell them the world is all about them, Don't expect them to leave the house and all of a sudden turn the corner and be all about Jesus. Because you've been telling them the opposite their whole life, that your world revolves around theirs. Instead of our world together as a family revolves around him and his call on our life. So if you're married and you have kids, you go, man, I just don't have time for this. I just wanna let you know you don't get to say to the king of the universe, you don't have time for his agenda. And those of you who are single, you're going, amen, yeah, that's, that's why I'm not going to get married. <laughs> and Paul says to you, be fully devoted to the work of the Lord. In fact, some of you are single, you're going, man, I, I want to get married, and I just want to say this to you. If you don't have time to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and be faithful to Jesus' mission to make disciples and serve others with your life while you're single, don't add complexity to it. Learn how to be faithful in the station you're in right now. Don't waste your singleness. It's a great opportunity to give yourself fully to the work of the Lord without a lot of other competing demands. And if you think you'll get better at it getting married, you're fooling yourself. In fact, I would say those of you who are new in marriage, unfortunately, some people get married in their first couple years, they just bow out of everything. And I'm just going to tell you, that's probably one of the worst things you can do for your marriage. Because the first few years are some of the hardest years for some people. And when they get out of community and they're not getting people around them to watch them, encourage them, build them up, and spur them on, oftentimes those marriages don't make it. And we live in a context where we're constantly being distracted and all of our attentions are being drawn so many places. And in a, in a culture where we feel like we have unlimited opportunity and unlimited freedom, we're actually not very free. We're, we're, we're full of anxiety because we're like, which thing do I say no to? There's so many great opportunities out there. Sociologists say that failure in this world is actually just called feedback. Failure is feedback because we only de- deem ourselves failures in the culture we live in based upon the feedback around us that says we aren't enough. A single person is told to have a great career, be a great friend, keep your online presence going, update your knowledge of every new Netflix and Hulu series that's available while you also keep yourself perfectly fit, nutritiously balanced, politically engaged, socially conscious, and, relatively, and, and relationally connected to everyone while you keep all your options open. <laughs> Any single people in the room to hear what I'm saying, feel it? Is that uh, Amen. And then there's mothers out there, you're being informed through social media that you need to regularly post on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat in ways that will always gain more likes, more friends, and more followers, and you should pay attention to when your friends post, because if you don't like them, they might dislike you, so you got to just stay on top of that. While you also have three kids in sports, dance at the same time, you got to have your own business and remodel your home like Joanna Gaines right? While you author a book about a mom who doesn't really give a care about what people think of her, and she's told to also simplify her life in such a way that she organizes everything perfectly like like Maria Kondo, okay? Moms, any of you feeling that? Like, no wonder you're overwhelmed. Fathers, you're being told to work 50 to 60 hours a week to climb the ladder, bring home an expanding salary to pay for your kids' unending hunger for technology, keep them involved in club sports, give them tutors to ensure their grades, make it so they can get into college, and then you got to have a college fund on the side so they don't go into debt and someday regret you at being their parent who didn't think ahead of time, right? And at the same time, Dad, you got to be at every game or performance, date and romance your wife and all three kids, serve on a board, have a hobby, stay fit, get enough sleep, be a reader because leaders are readers, you know, and then remain an ongoing learner. Fathers, anybody feeling that? right? And then you come to Doxa, and I remind you that you're supposed to obey God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be a disciple who makes disciples serve with your gifts and be involved in in a, a profound way in the church. Amen? And you're all going, enough. I'm overwhelmed. I can't do it. And that's the east side. I've been here long enough. So you're going like, he finally woke up. He was from Tacoma, you know, that sleepy town down south. Bohemian arts, you know, and <laughs> anti the system, and don't go to work, and now he's on the east side, and, and everyone's going like, he doesn't get it. Do you understand how busy we are? And I do, because I'm one of them. And that's why we're trying to simplify things for you here. And you might think it's complex, but we try to just make it real simple. Gather, go, grow. Gather every Sunday. To hear God's word, to be encouraged, to let your own heart know that someone sees you and knows you and gets your struggle and you have one who overcame so you're not alone in the world anymore. Do you know that the average attendance for DOXA members is one, well, maybe not members, people, is 1.5 Sundays a month. That's not good. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just saying, for some reason, this doesn't get a priority in your life for many of you. You're the nine o'clock, so you're like, no, we're here every week. (laughs) But do you know that studies consistently show that those who attend a church gathering one or more times a week, a gathering of the church, live longer, suffer less depression, are less likely to commit suicide, less likely to divorce? They're more generous, they volunteer more in their community, they commit fewer crimes, including domestic violence. Being with the church on a weekly basis is good for your soul, it's good for your family. It's good for your community. It's good for your city. Amen. It is. You should make time for it. And your friends who aren't here, send them this link to watch this message. <laughs> and we're called to go on mission. And you might go, I don't want, I don't have time for that. But I'm going to tell you, it studies also show that people who are in, in community with people who know them and are in their life and pay attention to them are actually healthier people. And the depth of the community arises with the depth of the commitment to love others, not just self. And some of you are going like, man, I feel so alone. I feel so isolated. You need to be in a community of people who love Jesus together. And some of you are in a community that loves people together, but you don't love the lost. You're not on mission to other people. You're going, how come our community always feels like it's not going anywhere? It's because it's not going anywhere. It's because when you make it all about yourself, you become codependent. But when you make it about others, not only do you grow in your love for God and others, but your community becomes deeper because how many people grow in depth by just vacationing together? A little bit. How many people, when they go serve another people in another part of the world for two or three weeks, come back going like, these are the deepest relationships I've ever experienced in my life. That's how God designed you. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. So that's why we're calling you to that, to not only gather but to go in a missional community. And I want to say this especially for singles. Some of you, you need us as married people to stop just talking about kids and marriage. We need to have you come into our group and we need to care about your life and your career and and the struggles you have. And if you're single, you need to be in a group with people that aren't always just thinking about single things as well. You need to ask them about how can I encourage you and pray for your marriage and how's it like being a dad and I wanna learn from you because someday I might be but even if I'm not, I wanna know how I can come alongside your kids and pour into them because I I wanna be able to have little ones that I've discipled even if they're not my own. So family, we need each other. And we need to think about each other and we need not just have groups that look like us. And then lastly, we want to have you grow in our DNA groups. I'm not going to spend any more time on that but I will say this last Sunday was really good training for us to help our DNA groups. If you're new, that's three men or three women really devoted to being in God's word together, working on each other's hearts being transformed. And you might say, I'm just too busy, Jeff. I'm too busy to be here every Sunday. I'm too busy to be an MC. I'm too busy to be in a DNA group. And that's likely because you have filled your life with competing anxieties. And so I just want to encourage you to do a bit of an, an audit. Look at your schedule. I want you to leave this gathering. I want you to, maybe, maybe with your friends or with your spouse or whoever, just sit down and say, I want to look at my week and ask how many of the things that I'm choosing to do are life-giving, are, are stirring me up in my heart towards love and good deeds, are, are continuing to spur me on to obey God, are, are, are stoking the, fame, the flame of my passion for God himself and to love others. Because I would bet There's a lot of things that are robbing you of that. I bet there's a lot of things that are keeping you distracted. And I I don't say it to discourage you, I just say it to say you're free, live as free people. Make some decisions that will enable you to walk out what you believe more faithfully and fully. And in all this, I want to end with the fact that whether you're single or you're married, Jesus is the best friend who will never leave you or forsake you and he understands what it's like to be single and has his friends leave him in his most tiring and trying moment. And from the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know what that comes from, that Psalm 22. He's crying out what you and I often feel. If you're single, sometimes you feel that I know. Why am I alone? What's going on? Some of you who are married feel that in your marriages. And you have one who gets what it's like to feel abandoned. But the rest of the psalm tells us that God rescues his people. He saves them. So too often when we hear that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me from Jesus' lips, we think the, the father just walked away and that's not actually what happened. The father knew he was gonna raise him on the third day. Give him the name above every name. Exalt him above all and accomplish for you and me the certainty and absolute confidence that we can have a friend that sticks closer than a brother in Jesus Christ. And we can be part of a forever family even if we feel at times alone. And that there'll be a day when we will join Jesus at that great marriage feast. And whether you're married now or not, you will be as the church married to the perfect spouse, Jesus Christ. And that's what we look forward to. And that may sound strange to you, but what that means is we get to experience what you all have been longing for forever finally come to fruition in that moment. Amen? That's what we hope for. And if that becomes ultimate, everything else can become penultimate. It doesn't have to be the ultimate in our life. Let's pray that God does that in all of us. Father, we come to you. We thank you that Jesus was willing to live a single-minded, devoted life to your will. And because of that, we are forever changed and full of hope. We pray that you would help us to be single-minded as well, in Jesus' name. Amen.